keeping with our plan to feature country trainers from time to time, we're about to introduce the lady who has become well-known by the sobriquet, the Baroness of Bombala. When Barbara Joseph first started to race horses on New South Wales tracks more than 40 years ago, people not only wondered where Bombala was, but they certainly wondered how she could have possibly developed the talents of racehorses in a town of 1,400 people. Barbara was such a naturally gifted horse person that she could have developed the talents of a racehorse on the Nullarbor Plain. 1,200 winners, a Doncaster handicap and a runner in a Caulfield and Melbourne Cup are testimony to her great ability. She opened a Canberra stable in 1994, which is now run by her sons Paul and Matthew. Barbara has a satellite stable of 15 horses on the Sapphire Coast, and she and Peter are now living at beautiful Marimbula. Barbara, you are the first real live Baroness I've ever had on the podcast. Really? I thought you would have had some. <laughs> no, you're the first, and I'm proud to say I put that one on you a long, long time ago. Yes, you sure did that, Johnny, yes, years ago. Barb, you were third born in a family of ten kids, five boys, five girls at Bombala, which is about 485 kilometres south of Sydney, and times were pretty tough when you were growing up. Yes, John, I was born into a family of 10. If I'd have been born, born a boy, I would have been a shearer. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> anyhow, my five brothers are still shearers or in the shearing industry, and my sisters, all the rest of my sisters left Bombala, but I stayed there because I loved horses and um, I was sort of uh, learned to ride. My sister taught me to ride, and I used to ride my pony to school five kilometres every day and back and things like that. And did a lot of sh- bit of show jumping and show work with just that one horse because we had no money to have all the, the better ones. But I learned to, you know, ride over the six bars and jumping and that was my go. I wasn't a pretty rider. I was more of a, a rough rider. And But um, horses seemed to go good for me. But then when I was 14, 15, I left school when I was just turned 15 mm-hmm. and I moved into town to Bombay to live with one of my aunties because a husband died. Then I started writing track work. For an old uh, trainer by the name of Charlie Elton, and to this day you tell me that he was the man who taught you the art of conditioning racehorses. Yeah, that's right, Johnny, he did. You know, he was one of those fellas, if you got out of a trot in the first three to four weeks with your horse when you were working it, you know, that was wrong. And and we did a lot of hill work around the roads, around the town and trotting and, and feeding and, you know, and... Um, he was a great man with a horse, you know, a great man. And, and, and you know, he, he had quite a lot of witness himself, but probably from few horses. But he was a wonderful man, yeah. Well, the years rolled on and you had to put horses on hold for a while because you got married and you had three kids, Angela, Paul and Matthew, and you and your husband went into the butchering trade. Now, Bob, this is one I have not heard before. You were a butcher. Yep, I was. I, I became a fully qualified butcher in about a month because <laughs> we bought we we bought this shop that was doing about three bodies and ten lambs. And when the first two weeks we opened up, we were up to ten bodies and about thirty lambs. So uh, my husband Gary at the time he 
soon taught me how to wave the knife and I can I can I can break up a bullock or a lamb or a pig and anything like that. I'll tell you what what every piece of meat is on those things. The only thing I didn't learn to do, Johnny, was tie sausages because God that's a boring job. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd find somebody else to do that. Sounds like Gary yes, got that job. Yeah, the, the apprentice could do that, that's for sure. Well, Barb, when you were about 31 years of age, a neighbour told you that he had an option to buy a horse for $600 and he actually asked you to recommend a trainer. Yep, that was uh, Tommy Grono and, and his wife and they came into the butcher. Well, actually they were neighbours and my husband, then we used to sell wood on the side to make a living. You know what it was like? It was pretty yeah. hard back in those days. And Anyhow, he said he had this horse that he could buy for $600 and it was called Howie Park, H-O-W-I-T-T. Mm. And he come from Barnsdale where the main park in the street is Howard Park. Anyhow, we bought this horse and for $600 and got him up there and he was 10-year-old, 10-year-old, mm. and he hadn't raced for about eight or nine months. So that was a big challenge put on me. Yeah, so you you offered to train the horse. Yeah, I said, look, I haven't got a licence, but there's a meeting out here at Bombala next week. I'm going to go see the stewards and I'm going to see if I can get a licence. Goodness so, me. Anyhow, out I went and those days I was probably didn't look too bad dressed up, you know, so went into the steward room <laughs> and, and old Tappy Byler, who was the president of the club, he was a great guy, you know, and, and a great friend of ours and mine and sort of and. Anyhow, we went and spoke to the stewards and said what a good horse, horse person I was and whatever. Anyhow, I went to this steward and anyhow, he, um, it was Bill Cameron at the time. And yeah. anyhow, so I, I got the, got my licence and a couple of weeks later the, in the mail it arrived. So then the horse arrived and I had him for about three months. It took me three months to get him ready and God, it was exciting, you know, doing this horse all by myself and riding and doing the gallops and everything. And anyhow, we turned up at the Bombala races and we had... Lindsay Thompson on, and of course he won the race. So that, you know, and then he won his next two. So that was, I thought, God, how easy is this? <laughs> little, little did I know. Oh, I'll say. Now, Barbie never stopped winning. He went on for ages, didn't he? Oh, it was unbelievable. Yeah, he won. He won seventeen races or something, and yeah. and he won the flying on Black Opal Day at Canberra. It was so funny. Because I rang Malcolm Johnson up to ride him, and that was when he, when he was in his heydays, an apprentice, you know. Yeah. And he wouldn't ride him because he was 12 or 13-year-old. No, he's too old. I'm not riding him or something anyhow. So sure enough, Howard Park flashed past Malcolm Johnson on something else, and we got up and won the flying on Black April Day by about three lengths. So mm. I've never let Malcolm live that down. <laughs> no. Bob, tell me about a horse called Cold Hearted. You got him from scratch, and you tell yeah. me he was an out-and-out buck jumper. He was. We got him from, from Ray Richards from down at Barnsdale. And Ray, you know, George Hanlon was, was his trainer at the time. And anyhow, this, we had one before that and it, we'd won a couple and it broke down and they said, then they said, well, we'll send this one up to this will test you. So anyhow, it came up to me and, oh, he could buck. But at the time, I had a really good girl working for me as well, Robin, Robin Perkins. And anyhow, we mastered him. We 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 got him done. Whatever. Anyhow, we we um, took him to Vega and give him his barrier trial. And uh, and he and he won he won that when we had a real heavy saddle on him and a heavy jockey. The jockey was heavyweight. Plus we had a one of them old two stone saddles on. You know. So he got up <laughs> and won the won. Oh, we ran second or third in the trial. Anyhow, then we went to Canberra and backed him and he won first up. 
Look, he was a great horse. He, he won the then he, then he won the Southern Pole Stakes at Canberra on Black Opal Day, and yeah. we took him off to Sydney, and he won in Sydney. Johnny Scores went with him and rode him, and and we won in midweek, and then we won a Saturday meeting with him at Rose Hill, and, and the night before we won, uh, uh, young um, Johnny uh, Richards uh, can't think of his name now at the moment, but anyhow, Ray's son, Alan Richards, Alan Richards, yeah. he said, oh, he said, we lose a draw. I'm taking this horse off you tomorrow. Well, was I upset, you know? Oh. So anyhow, after a few champagnes and whatever, I was very upset about it. Anyhow, look, we got to the races and he won the race. But the best part about it, he, he won, they took him off me and he went over to the West and he won the he won the Triple Crown. He won the three big races over there that uh, mm. Cold Heart and that uh, the horse that Johnny Scores used to ride won. Mm. Um I can't think of his name either. But anyhow, Placid Ark. Placid Ark, yeah. He yeah. won the three that Placid Ark had won. So, yeah. Anyway, he won all those. And then he came back to uh, over to Melbourne and George Hanlon. I think he won another couple of races or a group race then. But that was probably my biggest, one of my biggest heartbreaks in racing. But anyhow, mm. now I can look back and see, well, I wouldn't have been able to do that, you know, that I was at the, in Bombala and I wouldn't have had, been able to do it. So, anyhow, in hindsight, it was probably good for the horse. Barb, you had a lot of time for Noble Dane, uh, who was a member, I think, of Dane Hill's very first crop to be sold in Australia. You won 11 races with Noble Dane, three of them in the city, despite yep. the fact that he was broken-winded. Yep. I bought, he was first year of the Dane Hills, and anyhow, I paid 20000 for him, probably one of the cheapest Dane Hills sold. Mm. But he was out of a Noble Bijou mare, he was honestly, he was a good seventeen hands and long and narrow, you know. Mm. And and anyhow, anyhow, I bought him, but um, and he wasn't a good walker. I don't know, but I just wanted to have a Dane Hill because everybody else was buying these Dane Hills. Mm. Anyhow, so we took him home and took him till he was a three year old. And and look, he couldn't run a thousand meters. He was we had him scoped. He was broken winded, so we operated on him, and then he went on and won. All those races, and well, I think two winter cups or one winter cup in Sydney in July in the, in the wet, and he could run twenty four hundred metres in a bog track after that operation. It was a very successful operation, mm. and uh, he was just a wonderful horse, you know, and a wonderful horse to have around the stable. Anybody could ride him, and he could do anything. So when we when he was retired, I was lucky that those girls that do that pole, pole bolting or whatever they call it, where they get up and spin round on them, or Mm. She came in and was spinning around on his back in the stable and she took him for a ride out onto the out, outside in front of the stables and put this saddle on and doing all this and standing on his back. I, I couldn't mm. believe it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Here he was, still in racing, and this girl, so he ended up with, with a great home and I believe, he, he, you know, he's he done it for years. So mm. it was a great ending for him. The first few years of your training career, you had to do your best with rejects from other stables, but you had a few pleasant surprises. Now, I can remember a couple of horses you bought from the, the Gay Waterhouse stable, or maybe it was the Tommy Smith stable at that time. One of them was called Goodwood. Yes, that was Goodwood. He was a, he was a lovely, lovely horse. Um, uh, Tommy thought he, he was broken-winded as well, and uh, he was running him on a heavy tracks, and, and he was not a wet track horse and whatever, and he was trying him over 1,000 and 1,200 metres, and, and uh, the um, Malcolm Bay, who was, used to be sell, used to sell Tommy's gays horses. He rang me up and said that Jimmy Cassidy reckons that you should buy this horse. But I mean, Malcolm was like that with every horse. But 
Anyhow, we had a good look at this also. We bought him and bought him home. He wasn't broken winded. He only had a, an ulcer or an abscess in his in his throat. So mm. after a course of penicillin and gelding him and whatever and bringing him back, he turned out a really, really nice horse. I don't know how many he ended up winning, but... Quite a few, school. quite a few, Barb. He won in town here in Sydney, but he yeah. won a Wagga Cup too. He won the Wagga Cup. He was the winner for me for the first Wagga Cup, yes, and he was the first horse to break the two minutes and um, over there for the 2000, and he held the record there for a long time. I don't know whether he's still got it, but no, he was an outstanding horse, beautiful horse, yes. Now, Barb, yeah. we're going to pause for a quick break on the podcast, and when we come yeah. back, we're going to tell the story of the very first yearling sale you ever attended. Back in a moment. The 2019 Sydney Classic Yearling Sale will entail four days of Book One, February the 9th to the 12th, when 808 yearlings will be offered, and the Highway Session, Book Two, February the 14th, which will see a further 205 youngsters go under the hammer. Wednesday the 13th of February will be a Highway Race Day at Warwick Farm, featuring two Highway Handicaps, one for country trained horses, one for provincial trained horses. If the winner of either highway race is an eligible English graduate, the winning trainer will receive a $50,000 credit voucher to spend at the highway session the following day. In recent years, the classic sale has produced horses like She Will Rain, Yankee Rose, Extreme Choice, Extra Brute, I Am A Star, Hellbent and Maid of Heaven, all distinguished Group 1 winners. Top horses just keep turning up from the Sydney Classic Yearling Sale. My special guest is Barbara Joseph. I love the story of the very first yearling sale you ever attended, Barb. It was the Inglis Easter Sale of 1987, and you were completely lost. Uh, you yep. didn't understand the routine, you didn't understand the procedure, and your bank was a very meagre one. You had $10,000 to spend and not a cent more. That's right, I did. Look, I was like a kid in a candy shop. I could not believe it. I sat on those steps there where they parade and I watched them horses walking round and round. And then I sort of went down and seen what people were doing, but I thought, oh, well, I've got no idea what they're, what they're about, you know. So anyhow, I sat there most of the day and there was one sold for 300 and then there was this horse in the ring that was very athletic and I really liked him. He had a beautiful head. He had a little bit of a Roman nose, which I didn't mind. And he, he, he just had that presence about him, you know. He couldn't keep his feet on the ground. So anyhow, he came into the ring and he had a bit of a – his coat was a bit wintry. He's probably turned a few off him. But he was by Taj Rossi and it was the last year of the Taj Rossi. So anyhow, Phil Redmond was selling. So, look, they knocked him down to me for $5,000. Mm. And uh, I was over the moon. I remember getting going down to the stable and getting him out to show people. Yeah. And I couldn't get the – could get him back in the box. He didn't want to come back in the box. He's standing there raring and going. Anyhow, yeah, we, we got him back in anyhow and got him back to Bombala, yeah. Well, what a story, Barb. That $5,000 yearling was named yeah. Marimbilla Bay. He won 576000 30 years ago. Uh, yeah. He won three as a two-year-old, including the Fernhill Handicap, in which he was ridden by the late, great Johnny Marshall. Yeah, yeah, that's so, right. And look, he, I'll have to tell the story. Look, when we got him home to Bombala and breaking him in, he was pretty hard to break in and 
he was a bit of a mongrel. So anyhow, <laughs> at the time there was a there was a, there was a big drought on in the area, and everybody had their cattle out on the on the roads going from you know from reserve to reserve. Mm. And the fellow that was breaking in him, he said, "I'm going to take him out on the reserve because he keeps stumbling all the time. I'll take him out and drive the cattle." So for three or four weeks, when he was getting broke in, he spent it on the road driving cattle from one reserve to the other, sleeping in the reserves with the with the black cattle that were on the road. He's with about 800 head they had. Mm. And he was sleeping in the reserve. He knew how to get up on the truck. He knew how to be tied up to a barbed wire fence and stand there for two or three hours, then someone get back on him. But anyhow, look, he came home from that. He was so well broken in. Mm. It was the best thing that ever happened to him, you know. Yeah. Pity these days that a few more of them weren't set to do that sort of thing, you know. Yeah. Well, Barbie won three two-year-old races, as I said. Then yeah. he came back as a three-year-old to win the San Domenico Stakes. But in yep. the autumn of 89, he really started to run. He won that big prime television quality at Tamworth with Johnny Marshall. Yeah. He Brody. ran second in the far lap, Group 2, and yep. fourth in the Diners Club Cup a week before yep. the Doncaster. He had yeah, 50.5 in the Doncaster, and you struggled <laughs> to get a jockey. I did struggle to get a jockey, and I struggled with the owners as well because the same day there was a there was a race on over 1,600 for country-trained horses worth 50,000. That year the, the Doncaster was only worth 400,000. But anyhow, we had a lot of owners in him, so a lot of them didn't come. The races were on down to Pandula the same day, and they all stayed down there, and a few came up. But anyhow, look. We struggled to get a to get a rider, and then we got um, Kenny Russell, mm. and it was just great. And honestly, in that race, I'll never forget it. Um, you know, he was just behind the leaders, and then he was heading, heading, heading head down the straight, and there was two of Tommy Smith, Chajar, and and I can't think of the other one at the moment. But anyhow, they were going head and head. Anyhow, they had big photo finish, of course. So I'm walking mm. down the steps, and Tommy Smith's in front of me. And that's when they had the steps down the front of the thing you used to walk down into the enclosure, yeah. you know, on the old grandstand. And I'm walking down there and, and I'm thinking, oh, we've run second or third. And Tommy Smith turned around. He said, if you've got the, the blue and green on, he said, you've won, you know. Yeah. So, and, and he was right. Yep. And we, we got there. We won by a bee's dick. Yep. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. Every time I, I know I what you mean. The, every time I go beating the photo finish now, I always think of that and think, well, that was the main one. I won that one, so, you know. Well, there was a swarm of them went over the line, Barb. I was up oh, calling yes. the race, of course, and there looked to be yeah. nine of them as they hit the line, yeah. but he stuck his little head out and there was oh. no doubt he had just scrambled in for the great yeah. Kenny Russell. Yeah, with the great Kenny Russell. And look, Johnny, that going out that day and I to, to bring him back in and standing there and looking at all them thousands of people up in the grandstand and, looking at me and going, and I thought, oh, my God, what have we done? What have we won, you know? Mm. It just was so surreal. I mean, the Fern Hill was great. I know that was good and the, and the St. Domenico, but then to win the to win the Doncaster, you know, that was just out of the world. So, like, leading him back in and everything like that. So, at the time, uh, Peter and I, our daughter Zoe, she was only about 15 months, and uh, so we had her there and they wouldn't let her in the enclosure. I remember giving her to throwing her. Someone took her and whatever, but in the crowd, but anyhow, look, it was a great, great day, you know. And the next day, driving home, we had to take the horse back to Bombala and bought the newspapers and he were reading about it. it was, yeah. That's when it really hit us that yep. what we'd done, you know. Yeah. Barb, amazingly, 
he only won one more race after that, but it yep. was a win that gave you a lot of pleasure. It was the Wagga Town Plate. Ken Russell couldn't get to the meeting and Grant Cooksley was the jockey. That's right, yes, yes. Grant came over and rode him at the Wagga Town. That did me, give, give me a great thrill because after he went to that Doncaster, then he went up and he raced in the, one of the big, the Doomden 10,000 or something at um, hmm. in, in Brisbane and a horse galloped on him from behind and, and he put in a really bad dip. Hmm. And from that day... From that time on, he was never the same horse. There was something went wrong in, in the front end of him. I, I don't know, but you know, he was he was never as bloody uh, free in his action as what he used to be. You know, so yeah, wouldn't do his confidence any good, good either. Yeah, Barbie, wouldn't do be his confidence. No, he'd be mean, frightened to stretch yeah. out after that. Yeah, he was. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Mm. You know, you left him an entire all the way through. And he actually yeah. went to stud Marimbula Bay. I think he got a few foals too, but he met a terrible fate. Yes, he did. Look, he only the first year he went, and I mean, <laughs> probably the worst part about it too, Johnny, was we had him insured for 250000 when he was racing. Mm. And um, when he went to start, I dropped it down to 50000 thinking, you know, he'll be right. Not gonna, nothing's going to happen to him now. Mm. And what did he do? He, he turned around and got pneumonia and died about six weeks into the season. Yeah. No, yeah. he's a super little horse, and I've got very fond memories of him uh, winning that Doncaster. Yeah. Now, yeah. Bob, Ain't Seen Nothing was a fairy tale story, a cheap filly at the sales, and you mm. couldn't get anybody interested in coming into her, into the syndicate. She yeah. was by nothing like a Dane who did a really good job as a stallion. She was beaten first start in a maiden, and then she went bang. She won six straight including yep, the Canberra Guineas, ridden in all six by John Scorse. But the best yep. part was you kept one-third in, in the... We kept one-third. nothing. In, yep. And Dennis Higgs, the other owner, and the other owner already passed away. Yeah, so that was sad. But, yeah, we kept the one-third, but it was great. And then after winning that, that since she went to Canberra and won the, um, the 1600, what is it, the, the race that they have there for the three-year-old fillies in... At the end of, in March, so she won that one as well. That I can't think the name the, of the, the race. Keith Nolan, is it? Oh, the Keith Nolan, yeah, the yep. Keith Nolan. She won that, yeah. And then she ran on and ran fourth, I think, in the Adrian Knox or something. And whatever well, she, she ran second in the Adrian Knox Adrian in Group Knox, Three, yes. and she ran yes. fourth in the Oaks Barb in the in the Oaks at Randwick, beaten yes, only on a, two and a half lengths. Good run on, on a bog track, yes. And then you spelled her, yep. When she came back, she ran. Second up, she won the Let's Elope Stakes at Flemington. Yes, uh, then she ran good, Oliver, yeah. yeah, she ran a good race in the Underwood, a good race in the two-rack, a cracking fifth in the Caulfield Cup, beaten only two and a half lengths, and it was almost as good as a win. You were very excited. We were very excited, you know, and, and we had the whole family down there, all, all my sons and daughters, and, and everybody was there, about 20 from most of the staff from the Canberra stable and, you know, when that happened, like Canberra was so good, it was that. That's when they gave me a, a, a thing of a, ambassador of Canberra mm. for what I'd done for the Canberra over that race. You know, and all the people, and the, they said the betting was up a hundred thousand that year on the Caulfield Cup in Canberra, and they reckon it was due due to ain't seen nothing racing. But um, mm. yeah, look, she was a great mare, and she wasn't much of her, but you know, and and then we, uh, you know, she, well, then she running. We, we, by doing that, we were eligible to go to the Melbourne Cup. My, maybe in hindsight now, but when you've got a horse that's eligible to go, 
what do you do? You go into the Melbourne Cup. But anyhow, yeah, that's what we did. And look, the thrill of having a horse in the Melbourne Cup, going to that barrier door, picking out your number and all this, yeah. you know, and sitting up there with all of them, it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. indescribable. Yeah, it is, it is, yeah. It's now, a Bob, great memory. A horse called Dorsal was a lot of fun. Ten wins from 52 starts 20 years ago. When I give these prize money totals now in 2019, yeah. you've got to get it into perspective. He won $180,000 20 years ago. Yeah. Five wins on Sydney Metro tracks and for some reason best known to yourself, you sneaked him back to Victoria once to win the Bensdale Cup. Why would you do that? I just had a lot of people down there and a lot of the owners wanted to go and they hired a Hummer from Canberra and there was all the owners got in this Hummer and we all went down there. So the pressure was on. But anyhow, look, he got up and won and delivered and look, they all got back to Bombala in the Hummer and we had the best party. Yeah, it was just one of those, you know, <laughs> we had those owners that liked having a good time, you know. They didn't care where you won, long as you had a good time. But the story about him was when, when I bought him, he was he was sold up here at the Gold Coast at one of those sales. They didn't have it at the, the complex now. It was another one. And mm. I remember getting there a bit late on this. At, at the time, I had all these great sedative horses and this horse was walking around. It was such a great sort of walking. And he, uh, I ended up buying it for $10,000. So, mm. anyhow, uh, I went back up to the New Haven Park where he was and, got, and John got him out for me. They looked at him. He said, oh, Bob, you might have a bit of trouble winning the race with this fellow. He's very calf-legged. So he was really back at the knees, you know. So, mm. anyhow, I took him home and gelded him and broke him in when he was a three-year-old and sort of didn't do too much with him. But, you know, proof, uh, proof's in the pudding, you know. If you give things horses time when they've got something wrong with them they, and if they've got the ability, they can win. Now, Bob, John Hawks must have got a hell of a shock the day you bowled up to him <laughs> and said, hey, John, I'd like to buy a horse you're training at the moment, a horse called Hustle. And you were probably even more surprised when he came back to you later and said you could have him. Yes. Well, it took a bit of pestering, but anyhow, in the end he said yes, you know. So we bought this hustle and we got him home and um, had kept him for about six weeks and then went back to Sydney with him and I think he was 100 or 50 to 1 or something in Sydney. Anyhow, he got up and, and, and he got up and won. And, and the best part was that um, uh, uh, Jack Ingham, had 50 each way because he said he, he owned the horse before, anyhow. So <laughs> he, he never let Hawksy live it down, you know. So, mm. no, it was a good rivalry amongst John and I over that horse. But he went on and won some good race, won quite a few more. Oh. Well, you yeah. won another seven with him, Barb. He won yeah. two at Rose Hill. He won mm. one at Roundwick and one at Mooney Valley. You're not a bad judge, are you? Yeah. Well, the Mooney Valley one, I'll have to tell you a story about that one. Because it was on, I think it was Christmas Eve or very close to Christmas Eve, it was really, you know, into that time of year. So I didn't go because I had Zoe and I sent the horse down with somebody else. And anyhow, I was trying to get from Canberra back to Bombay. Anyhow, I'm speeding along, of course, and got pulled up by the cops. And, <laughs> and, and, and anyhow, they said, uh, you know, I said, look, I'm in a hurry. I've got a horse racing in Mooney Valley. I'm trying to get home to watch it, you know. Anyhow... That didn't make any difference. They still find me. But yeah. I believe the whole police station backed them. I told them what the horse was. And, you know, I was two k's from the house when the horse jumped and I had to listen to it on the radio. But, you know, <laughs> he, he got up and won. So there, that, that's, you know, that's another story about us. And he was another one of those big, beautiful Bay Zenitives I had. And Sheer yeah. Relief was another one that I had. And I never, never forget, I, I went to 
Brian Iron, my best mate friend, went to Sydney with him and he was going to race on a Wednesday. Anyhow, we're up at, we're staying at Warwick Farm and we went up to the Liverpool there shopping and walking back past that cemetery, you know. <laughs> in the afternoon, this was. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we could hear, you know, like joggers coming behind you. I thought there were joggers on everything else. Anyhow, they were these fellas and they, they were trying to get our handbags. They went past, they grabbed Blythe and they grabbed my handbag and I hung, under, hung on to it. And they dragged me along the ground. I wasn't letting mine go. I had $1,500 in it. I wasn't letting it go. Anyhow, they dragged me. I had the skin off my knees. Anyhow, they, they let go and went. But Blythe's bag fell open and her phone fell out, so she got hers back. But they got in this car. This car was coming. We thought it was coming to help us. It was picking them up, you know. <laughs> we, we were terrified, you know. And ever since that bloody day, I'm, I'm hardly going in a car park or walking somewhere. But here's someone jogging behind me. I'm thinking... You know, are they trying to give him a bag or something, you know? But anyhow, the story was that the horse got up and won the next day, anyhow. So I think there was an article in the Telegraph that's about us being mugged, you know, in yeah. the middle of the day too, mind you. So but I've, had some, I've had some experiences. <laughs> things were going so well in 1994 that you opened stables in Canberra and those stables are now run by your sons, Paul and Matthew Jones. So you're now officially in a three-way partnership with the boys. Yes, they all, Paul was the one first one that started off and he was an electrician and he used to come and work for me every morning for, for nothing for about six or seven or eight years and, and in the end I, he said he'd give up his job and, you know, and come in the partnership and I said, well, that, that was great and then Matthew showed, Matthew's always been a very good horseman and he'd done a lot of scrapping when he was younger for me before he married and that, you know, so... And he, he sort of had a milk run and things, and so he decided he wanted to do it. So then he's come in the last 12 months or six or eight months, whatever it is, and that's given me a chance to slow down a bit. I'd only need to go to Canberra now about once every month or every six weeks just to sit on the seat and have a look what they look like, you know, and tell them what I think about them. Yeah, but, um, no, they're doing a great job. They're doing a wonderful job, and, and I've passed on a lot of knowledge to them, and I'm, I'm very proud of them. Now, your husband, Peter, has always been a valued member of the team and for a long time there, and in fact, I'm not sure that uh, whether or not he's involved these days. He was a committeeman well, of the Canberra Racing Club. He's not on the Canberra Club anymore, but now on the Sapphire Coast. Look, he's been the best thing in my life for sure, Peter. He's been absolutely wonderful and a very uh, loving husband and what husband that let you do whatever you wanted to do. You never stands in my way if I want to buy a horse, I want to do something, I'm always allowed to, not, 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 I'm always allowed, but mm. he's quite happy for me to do what I do. Look, he yeah. does a lot of work behind the scenes. We have the horses spelling at Bombala and out at the farm and he's forever doing that and looking after them and, you know, he's, uh, he, I'd be lost without him, that's for sure. Now, you and Peter have a daughter, Zoe, as you mentioned earlier. I think Zoe still lives in Bombala. Does she look after the family farm? Oh, she's still she's in Bombala, but Peter still goes up to the farm nearly every day from the coast, or he mm. stays up there and comes down to the coast. So he, we're still not really retired. We're not really retired. Mm. Uh, this is what happened a couple of years ago. I went down there and I tried to retire a bit, and then and then I was so bored. And it was Peter's idea we build the stables down there, so that's where how that happened, you know. But probably that's one of the best things we've done. It's a great place for the horses to get conditioned and bring the old horses back to go to the beach and, and do all that sort of thing and the bush tracks, yeah, and I've got a great guy down there working for me, Grant, Grant Bobbin, yes. So, um, yeah, everything's going good down there. 
Well, Barbara, in the year 2000, you were awarded the Australian Sports Medal by the New South Wales government. 2004, you were made an honorary ambassador for Canberra by the Chief Minister for Integrity, Professionalism and Selflessness in Servicing the Canberra Community. And I can't think of a better way to terminate our interview uh, than to congratulate you on both honours, well-deserved and well-justified. Oh, thank you very much, John. It's, it's been a pleasure for this interview. It's uh, great to bring back old memories and somebody to have, you know, to know what's happening and what's going on. Uh, look, I still enjoy my life. I still enjoy my horses. I need to see them nearly every day or every second day. So, yeah, I think I'll be like that until I go. But anyhow, I've had a great time in racing and the people I've met and the owners I've met, a lot of them are now my best friends. And it's one sport that I'm so happy that I got into when I was 30-odd year old because I would never, never have met all the people and been as happy what I am, you know, with what I've done. And what I live for is to get winners for owners, you know. So it doesn't matter where it is as long as they we get the winners. Baroness, thank you for paying me the courtesy of uh, being a guest on our podcast. Great to talk to you. Thank you, John. The 2019 English Premier Yearling Sale will be held at Oaklands Junction in Melbourne where 786 lots have been catalogued for four days of selling between the 3rd and the 6th of March. The Premier Sale has produced some of Australia's best performers in the last year, including Group 1 winning two-year-olds written by and Seabrook, four-time Group 1 winner Santa Anna Lane and the exciting three-year-old Ring-a-Ding-Ding. The 2019 Premier Catalog is bursting with quality and features siblings to 73 stakes winners and eight Group 1 winners, including Boomtime, Shocking, Pinker Pinker and Seabrook. The sale will be held at a new-look Oaklands complex, which is undergoing an $8 million refurbishment, making it one of the best auction houses in the world. The dates again, March 3rd to March 6th, and catalogues are available online at english.com.au or in hard copy for the 2019 Premier Yearling Sale.